This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. This morning I'm going to continue in our series on It's Still the Blood. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll be glad to pass out a copy of God's Word to you. If you'd like to use your screen this morning, that would be great. Some people use your iPhones. I don't really know what you bring in here anymore, your iPads. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me because you can get it either way you want it. And uh, we're going to read it together this morning, regardless of where you watch it from. And I hope that it will be a blessing to your heart. This series about the blood, I've got one or two more sermons that are going to be incorporated in this. But today we're talking about nothing but the blood. And I want to ask you to look with me in Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse number 5. And, and I will say this as we begin this message today, that if there is a doctrine that the devil despises more than any other in all of the scripture, it's the preaching and the teaching on the blood of Jesus. You know, I'm amazed at sometimes people who think they know a lot about the Bible will say something in reference like, well, I know it says this, or I know it says that, or I know it says this. And uh, you can be easily, easily quoting scripture like the devil. The devil can quote scripture. Every time he does, he takes it out of context. This subject right here, I think, can be taken out of context by just casually referring to the blood of Jesus. I've said this from the beginning in the messages thus far that I don't believe that there is a greater important doctrine in all of the word than what we're talking about right now. There's not a more important doctrine that the devil despises more than what we're talking about right now, the blood of Jesus. And so this morning I'm talking about nothing but the blood. And this message today primarily is going to help you be refamiliarized with some great spiritual truths that maybe you have some sort of acknowledgement of already. But I want to bring some of these truths to your heart today and let them sink in. Don't let anything distract you this morning. Again, this is the kind of message I end it works like this whenever I preach a series on this particular type of a subject. My wife told me, she said, you know what's getting ready to happen when you preach stuff like this, don't you? I said, yeah. And she said, buckle up. Because I will tell you, that's exactly the way that this has gone in the series you can tell when the devil really is moving or working because he's anti-whatever we're talking about on this subject as far as the entire Bible goes, as far as that goes. And so this morning, I want you to listen very carefully because I want to reiterate some very important truths that I believe will help you in this subject about the blood of Jesus. 
The Bible is filled with so many important doctrines. But none, I believe, any more important than this. So I pray that this will be a blessing to your heart today as we talk about nothing but the blood. And I'm going to ask you to follow along with me today. If you're reading your Bible, you're looking at the screens. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 5, just to give you a little background about this passage, this particular text was written in the year A.D. 96 by John the Revelator, John the Beloved, John the Apostle. He was taken to a secluded island called Patmos. And what was a measure to silence him for preaching the gospel, little did they know that the greatest revelation of all time was about to be brought down to man. And here we have the revelation of Jesus Christ written by John. Let me remind you of something. John's just the writer. He's not the author. It makes a big difference. There are 40 different writers in the scripture, but there's only one author. And that's the Lord Jesus through the blessed Holy Spirit. Now look at this in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. Aren't you glad that God did love us? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In just a few moments, we're going to be baptizing again. And I will tell you, there has never been a drop of water in this baptistry that's ever washed away one sin. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. As I've already mentioned, this is a most sensitive subject on the blood of Jesus. Many churches are silent on this subject today. And there are many different reasons for that. Churches all across America are taking sermons, doctrine about the blood out of the sermon. They're taking it out of their songbooks, out of their praise and worship. They're taking the blood of Jesus and the message of it out of conversation. Some of the reasons they do that is they feel that it's not important anymore, that it's an out-of-date subject. Most of the time when people deviate from the doctrine on the blood of Jesus, it's because they say, well, the blood of Jesus is just too offensive. It offends too many people today. But I want you to understand something very clear. There is absolutely nothing that we can add to or take away from the doctrine of the blood of Jesus that can save our soul from hell. And it's extremely important that you know everything that you possibly can know about it. The blood of Jesus will affect the way that you live and it will affect the way that you die. That's important. You have to understand that your entire soul depends upon the blood of Jesus. You will never have anything more valuable 
on this earth than your soul. There's a scripture that says this in Mark chapter 8, verse number 36, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So I want to emphasize there's nothing any more valuable that you have on this earth than your soul. These bodies will break down and they will die, but your soul will live on somewhere forever. And according to the word of God, there are only two destinations, heaven and hell, where your soul spends eternity depends on what you personally do with the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the very heart of the gospel. Please understand this. If someone tried to suffocate Jesus when he was walking on this earth, it would not have paid the price of redemption. If somebody had poisoned him, it would not have paid the price of redemption. If he had suffered a heart attack, I'm giving you these hypotheticals here. None of those things were possible. He was sent by God for a purpose. And that purpose is found in the Luke, Gospel of Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. His life could not be taken from him until God's completed plan of salvation was fulfilled on the cross. I'm just telling you that had Jesus died any other way other than shedding his blood, there would be no hope for any of us. When the world thinks about the message of the blood of Jesus, and I want you to think with me today, sometimes they immediately go into what is called the panic mode because they say anybody that's associated with the blood of the Bible, the blood of Jesus, they've got to be associated with an occult or they've got to be some type of fanatic a fundamentalist, or they, and when, by the way, when they call us fundamentalists most of the time of the day, they're not talking about a denomination, they're talking about the Ayatollah over there in Iran. And they associate these teachings, these doctrines with some kind of way out, way out of space type of belief. But I want you to understand something today, and I think for the most part, I'm looking out across this congregation. You've heard me preach about the blood of Jesus many, many times. I think for the most part, everybody that I'm looking at this morning, to some degree, you understand that you cannot be saved without the blood of Jesus. There are several things that I think the blood of Jesus ought to do for you when you think about this. First of all, it should cause us to see the seriousness of our sin. By the way, that's something else that's not being preached a lot about today in the modern day church. Not only is the blood being omitted, but preaching on sin is being omitted as well. But I think when we think about the blood, it ought to cause us to see the seriousness of our sin because God's blood was the only thing that could provide the antidote that could pay the ransom for our sin. In fact, there's a passage of scripture that you don't have on your bulletin today, and I want to place it there now. If you would write in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28, this is very important because when Jesus shed the blood on the cross, he was shedding God's own blood. 
In Acts chapter 20, verse number 28, the Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. And this is very important for me because God has given me the responsibility to preach the entire counsel of the word. I just can't stand up here today and make you feel warm and fuzzy and just tell you things that make you feel good and tickle your ears. That's what a lot of people would prefer today. But God holds me accountable for that. I cannot do it. God has made me an overseer of the church. And the scripture says, and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Look at this, to feed the church of God. If you go out of the doors of Buford Road Baptist Church and you don't feel like you got fed, then you didn't eat. You didn't come to the table. Everybody walks in this door. I'll tell you what, we put a meal on the table. We give you God's word to feed upon. And so it's your own fault if you don't get fed. But here's the thing. To feed the church of God, look at this very carefully, which he had purchased with his own blood. When Jesus shed the blood on the cross, he was giving God's own precious blood to us. The reason all of that was important, unconditional, and necessary is because that sin had separated us from God. I've given you a scripture many times in the past, Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. When you read the scriptures in particular, connotation of this passage, the wages of sin is death. This death in the context that it must be taken in is talking about eternal separation from God. Surely, when man disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, the physical death sentence was placed upon him. God said that the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, Adam and Eve didn't drop dead immediately, but they did in the course of time. But this passage, for the wages, the price of sin is death. This word death means eternal separation from God. And so... It's important for us to remember this, that sin without the blood of Jesus will have serious eternal consequences on our soul. God hates sin more than we're able to comprehend it. I was listening to the words. Sometimes we get caught up with the beautiful melodies of music. But I was listening to the words as Rhea led the singing this morning. He took away my sin and my sorrows. He made them his very own. And the Bible says that though he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. The only way that that could happen is for the Lord Jesus to pour himself out completely on the cross, taking my sin and taking your sin. And according to the word of God, that's what he did. God hates sin more than we will ever be able to comprehend it. And all throughout the word of God, the Holy Spirit lets us know that everything sin touches, without the blood of Jesus, it will destroy everything about us. Every sin is destructive. And listen carefully. God will never excuse sin, but he will and can forgive it. Number two this morning, if you're looking and following along with me today, we need to understand the full nature of sin, and that is this. It deceives. It greatly deceives. Imagine 
the scene in heaven when Lucifer was able to deceive a third of heaven's angels leading them astray. So Lucifer actually started to deceive with this thing called sin way back before the beginning of man on the earth. But think about man in the Garden of Eden, how he was deceived then. Here's the thing that I want you to know about the devil and his relationship with sin. Satan is fundamentally, listen carefully, he's fundamentally a liar. And his kingdom is founded upon lies and deceit. Any day, any one of us can be deceived. Any day. That's why the word says to be vigilant. Because our adversary roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't ever get up in the morning and think that you're going to be too clever that you're going to be able to outsmart the devil. Listen, the devil is not smarter than God, but he's a whole lot smarter than you and I. He knows where we're vulnerable. He knows where we're weak. He knows the blind sides in our life. He doesn't have to figure it out. He's got the bullseye on me. He's got the bullseye on you, and he knows what to do. The devil has a beautiful way of enticing us if you're familiar with an Old Testament story about Lot and the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you're familiar at all with those stories of Scripture, the Bible says this, that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. He knew the evilness, he knew the wickedness that Sodom and Gomorrah contained. And at first he wasn't interested in becoming a slothful, wicked person. He wasn't interested in all of the sin of the wicked cities. All he was interested in, he said, I've got this big family of mine. I've got all of these flocks and herds. And he said, I'm looking out towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and I see over there that they've got some beautiful plains and vineyards, and they have beautiful places for me to graze my herds upon. They've got well-watered plains out there. He said, I'm looking out there over the horizon, and I see that Sodom and Gomorrah, they've got some real enticing universities and real enticing places that I can send my children. Maybe they can go in and go out. The whole idea was this. Lot had no intentions of moving into Sodom and Gomorrah in the beginning. The Bible says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And I will promise you this, this world has a lot to entice us with, you know that. And if you think for one minute that you can pitch your tent towards Sodom and not eventually be affected by it from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, the devil has cleverly deceived you. Understand he is a deceiver. Lot knew that Sodom and Gomorrah was filled with sin, but he saw the opportunities. Before long, Lot had pulled up his stakes from just pitching his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and the next thing that he knew, he was living right in the middle of these wicked cities. 
And in the end, you think about this. If this is not important to you in the past, I pray that it would become important to you right now. You can pitch your tent towards Sodom, and then you can find yourself living in Sodom. And then when God brings judgment, listen, when God was going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot did not have enough influence on his own family to spare them from the judgment of God. He had lost his testimony, not only in the community, but he had lost his testimony with his family. I will tell you today, sir, lose your testimony with your family and see how far that gets you down the road. And I will tell you, ma'am, to do the same thing, see how far that gets you down the road. The devil makes us to believe that we can safely pitch our tents towards Sodom without any consequences. If you think that's true, then what we would need today is to have a heavenly visitation from King David and ask him, about the enticement of sin. Do you think that if David could see the sad, sordid picture of the tragedies that turned out with his relationship with Bathsheba, do you think that he would do it again? Do you think if Samson would have another opportunity, do you think he would lay his head in the lap of Delilah again? I'm telling you this, that when you pitch your tent towards Sodom, eventually you're going to start living in Sodom. And when you start living in Sodom, you're going to lose all your influence, lose all your testimony, lose all your respect, and then you've got the devil turning cartwheels on what Jesus so sadly died in our stead for. You think about this. If we buy into the devil's deception and believe that there will not be any consequences to the way that we live without the Lord Jesus in our life, we're sadly mistaken. But here's another thing. If you're following along with me today, sin also disappoints. And by that, I mean this. He will always make sin look beautiful. He's never going to show you the mangled, tangled up car at the end of a drunken escapade. Isn't it amazing? I've said this before. It's amazing. I love football. And and I told my wife the other day, I said, I'm climbing out of my depression. I said, because the training camps are now in session. (laughs) The NFL is back. But one thing about that is this, that. Have you ever watched some of those commercials when they go in and out of those uh, things we like so much? And they show all of these beautiful women. They are on snow-covered mountains, and uh, they're, they're barefoot. Who runs barefoot on the mountain? <laughs> Ladies, do you do this? And they show you all these beautiful things, but they never show you the funeral home where a mother is sadly weeping over their child. They never show you the four crosses a little past Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, where four kids were just abruptly taken out of this life by a drunk driver. You see, the devil has a way to make things look real nice and real pretty, real enticing, real enjoyable. He never shows you the end of the story, how it's twisted and mangled and how you're, you're shattered in the pieces of destruction. Now, the Lord Jesus, he is the restorer. Satan is the destroyer. You have to keep this in mind. He will make you think that, listen, you just step out into this a little bit You don't have to go all the way out with this kind of thing. 
Everybody else is doing it. You don't have to live so uptight. Times have changed. The Bible's out of date. The Bible's out of touch. There will be so many advantages to you if you just submit a little bit. But let me remind you, sin may be temporarily satisfying, but it will sadly, abruptly disappoint you. Hebrews 11, verse number 25 says this, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses faced the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin does bring pleasure for a season. Moses was not willing, though, however, to trade heavenly things for earthly things. This is exactly what the devil wants us to do. He knows that as a believer, he cannot take away your salvation, but he knows that he can deceive your heart. He can take away your fellowship with God. He can take away your testimony. He can take away your joy, your happiness. He can take away your heavenly reward. Sin only has temporary satisfaction. He's a deceiver. He's a disappointer, but he's also destructive. Satan will use sin today to destroy families and destroy marriages, destroy your job, to destroy your children, everything about the future. And without the blood of Jesus, there is absolutely no protection from the end of all of these things. But ultimately, sin brings death. Sometimes instantly, sometimes over a long period of time, but without the blood of Jesus, for all eternity for sure. The word says this in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's a scripture that I want you to look at. It's found in the book of Ezekiel. We don't refer to this a lot, but I think it's worth referencing in this particular sermon this morning. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse number 20, and they already have it on the screen for you. Look at this. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Now listen carefully. If that verse is all that we had, it would be a most miserable life to live on this earth. And it would be a tormenting experience in hell for sure, but thank God we don't have to stop here. There's more to the story. This is the part that the devil doesn't want you to hear, and that is the remedy for sin. The only thing that can bring forgiveness and victory over sin is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like that song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath its flood, lose all their guilty stains. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And Colossians chapter 1, verse number 14. And this is why I like the beauty of the King James a lot, because if you have an NIV this morning, you won't have what I'm getting ready to read for you today. And that is this, the word says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. If you have an NIV, the word blood's not there. And by the way, as I said early on in the very beginning, that's one thing that the devil thrives upon. He wants to take the blood out of the message. He wants to take the blood out of the music. He wants to take the blood out of the preaching. And listen, if we take the blood out of the Bible, we don't have anything worth more than a Sears and Roebuck catalog. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Think about if God had only declared himself to be a God of wisdom. If he had only declared himself to be a God of power or a God of omniscience or a God that cannot change. 
What if he did not declare to us that he was the God of grace and the God of mercy and the God of compassion and the God of forgiveness? Even though he would have been a God of wisdom and a God of power and omniscience, those are not the things that saved us. Those are the great attributes and characteristics of God. But those things are not the things that saved us. It was his grace, his mercy, his blood. Number four, if you look at your bulletin, the peace from sin is the blood of Jesus. In Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. I love that song. He touched me, shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. And that's the kind of peace that comes when the blood of Jesus covers you. There's nothing like the peace that comes from forgiveness. And the word says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm glad there is forgiveness and forgiveness for whatever we fall short with. Forgiveness for whatever we do that is contrary to God. I'm glad today that I can tell you that no matter what we do, and none of us are perfect, and we're going to sin every day, there has only been one perfect person that's walked on this earth, and that's been the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what we do, no matter how far we sink, no matter how far we go in it, listen carefully, there is not one sin that he cannot forgive. There's not one sin that he will not be willing to bear for us. When we take our sin to the throne room of heaven and ask the merciful Lord Jesus to forgive it, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't say to you, well, listen, you just messed up one too many times. I told you yesterday not to do this. You knew better than that. You know right from wrong, but here you go again. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't do that? Aren't you glad he says, come now, let us reason together. Listen. Psalms 103, verse 12. As for, I'll tell you what the Lord does with your sin. This is one, I'm going to give you three of the most precious verses in all of the Bible right here. When you confess your sin and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, he never hangs it over your head. He never brings it up to remind you about what you did yesterday. When you confess your sin and you put it in the blood of Jesus, this is what happens in Psalms 103 verse 12. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You put your sin in the blood of Jesus and he removes them as far as the east is from the west. And then in Micah, this is a passage you don't reference a lot, but in Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, have you ever heard a preacher, have you ever heard a teacher reference God's sea of forgetfulness? Let me give it to you right now. In Micah 7, verse 18 and 19, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. 
He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And here's the thing. When we place our sins in the throne room of heaven, we've confessed our sins. He has washed us. He has forgave us of our sins. Not only has he removed them as far as the east is from the west, but he also puts them in the sea of his forgetfulness. Look at this. And thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. He will not remember them again. That scripture I'm giving to you right now, Jeremiah 31, 34. Look at this. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know all, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. Look at this. For I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. So when we put our sins under the blood of Jesus, and it's only the blood of Jesus that can do this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When we put our sins under the blood of Jesus and we have confessed them, the word of God says he removes them as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that he puts them into the depths of the sea and Jeremiah says that he will remember them no more. He places them into the sea of his forgetfulness, which means this, that whenever you sin, and has this ever happened to you? You get so close to God and then out of nowhere, the devil comes and he begins to harass you. But yeah, but you know what you did way back here. You know when this happened, you know when that happened. And constantly our life can be bombarded by the past, which the devil loves to throw up in our face. You think you're something, preacher. You know where you used to be and what you used to do. Or you think you're something, Mr. Song Leader. You know where you were and what you used to do. Or our musicians or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon in the church or just somebody in the pew. He reminds you of where you were, what you did, where you were when you said it, what you said, what you did, and all of this stuff. And we constantly get this harassment by the devil. He brings it up. God will never do that. I will tell you this. If you are so worried about your past and what happened in years gone by in the days of yesterday. Listen, what you need to do is come and lay your sins down on the blood of Jesus on the altar of heaven. Ask the Lord Jesus to forgive them. The Bible says that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will remove them as far as the east is from the west. He will put them into the sea of his forgetfulness and he will remember them anymore. And so when the devil starts bombarding you in the past and you come to the Lord and you're down and you're depressed and you say, Lord, I'm dragging this stuff around. I just can't get it off of my mind. He's going to look right back at you and say, what sin are you talking about? I forgave it a long time ago. You don't have to walk around with your life shackled to sin and shame. Give it to the Lord Jesus. The biggest difference between people in heaven And in hell right now is the blood of Jesus. I want our musicians to come forward. The blood of Jesus will not only take you to heaven when you die, but it will help you defeat the devil in this life on this earth as well. And when the devil brings that sin to your heart and your mind and your eyes and you just can't get it out of the way, remember that's not of God. You confess it, God will forgive it. This morning, I want to encourage you to do something. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, you don't have this weapon of the blood on your side right now. You have it available. It's available to you. 
What you've got to do is receive it. If you've never received it, I would pray the biggest prayer that I have when I come to the house of God, preach a message, is that no one would leave here without the Lord Jesus. Are you saved? Do you know the Lord? If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? I'm telling you this, that the blood of Jesus makes a difference to where you spend eternity. And hell is just as real as heaven. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, give your heart to Christ today. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.